Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Horticulture Week podcast. British summer fruits as rebranded as British berry growers. I'm Matthew Appleby and I'm with Chairman Nick Marston. Now, with Wimbledon tennis upcoming and following the recent announcement of the National Food Strategy, there's plenty to talk about. So, welcome, Nick. Good morning. Now, Wimbledon is coming up for tennis. So, what, what does that mean for the industry? What sort of boost or uplift does that give? Well, there's always been a, a long link between Wimbledon and the, the sort of peak of the British strawberry season. Um, this year actually is an early season, so you know we're already well in full production. And of course, Wimbledon was moved a couple of weeks later than it used to be. Um, but it's still a great occasion and it really raises the profile of, of delicious British strawberries in the public's mind. Excellent. Now, another big newsworthy event is the National Food Strategy, and I know you've been front and centre with that. So what does that mean now we've had a little bit of time to digest it? Well, you know, we're really pleased to see that in general, the National Food Strategy is in support of people eating more fresh fruit and vegetables, and it is also supportive of home production. I mean, that's really important, and it's something we mustn't lose sight of. We're really proud in the berry industry that during our UK season, you know, when we can produce berries cost-effectively, we're 100% self-sufficient, um, and that's something to be proud of. It's a great uh, news story for British horticulture, and, you know, we really need support from government in a whole range of uh, areas to make sure we can continue to deliver that. I guess labour is one of those areas so how do you feel about their announcement of 10,000 extra visas that must be a positive? 
It's a positive. I have to say that, uh, you know, if you look at the numbers, we still don't have enough um, and we will need more in the future. So uh, whilst, you know, it is welcome, there's no doubt about that. If you looked at what our uh, Labour surveys said, and they were very much uh, in line with what the NFU's Labour surveys were saying for the whole of horticulture, the berry sector and the whole of horticulture were looking probably to need in excess of 50, 50,000 seasonal visas this year. We've actually got 40. So you know that's better than 30 having said that 2,000 of those now are being hived off to the chicken poultry sector so you know it's it's helpful but it's not helpful enough and there is a serious worry about the fact that at the moment this scheme only runs for another two years so you know after that uh, government at the moment seems to be assuming somehow we're going to either pick it all with robots or recruit uh, 80,000 Brits to come do the work neither of which will be happening by 2024. Do you think all the crop will be picked this year? I'm sure it won't. Um, if we look at the lettuce and uh, salad onion sectors where they go from nothing to, you know, needing to, to actually harvest a full crop pretty well overnight, they've already started to waste significant amounts uh, while they were waiting for people to arrive, waiting for delays on visas. In the berry industry, it tends to be pieces of crop being walked away from in bits and pieces right the way through the season. Last year, we did a survey last autumn. It said that our waste in 2020 was £19 million. Um, last year, 21, it was £39 million. That's £39 million of the fruit wasted purely because growers didn't have enough labour. So that's not quality or weather or anything else. That's waste due to lack of labour. And I would expect that to probably double again this year. We'll know in the autumn. Um, and that's not a good news story. This is perfectly good fruit that's being wasted because we don't have the people to harvest it. So what would you like the, the government to do? Well, I think that what they have to do is to continue the seasonal workers visa scheme. It's absolutely critical to horticulture and it will be for many years to come, quite frankly. You know, even if we look at harvest robots, they're quite some years off before they're going to do the work of a person. And only about 40% of direct harvest labour is picking strawberries. There's an awful lot of other jobs. There are other crops as well. So um, we need a longer term commitment to seasonal workers visas. We also need a tie-in between the needs of the industry and uh, what government grants. In other words, get the politics out of it and just look at what numbers horticulture actually needs in order to thrive. Um, and then lastly, government really needs to be more nimble in terms of the timings. You know, they, they have taken a long time. Last year, 2021, um, they didn't announce the two extra operators, thus half the seasonal visas till May. Um, you know, most people want folks on their farms in, in March and April. So that's way too late. This year, the 10,000 extra visas was only announced a few days ago. It takes six weeks for those people to arrive. So again, they're not going to be arriving till August. And uh, by that time, UK horticulture will already have been in full production for quite some weeks. So uh, a more nimble and timely approach would also be hugely helpful. Is that 40,000 recruitable, what with Ukraine and various other issues of getting people into the country? It's it's caused delays of course you know but an awful lot of people nearly 70 percent uh, last year came from ukraine and quite a number from russia uh, most of those folks none of the russians and most of the ukrainians won't be coming um, and the four scheme operators have had to re-recruit uh, in new geographies so you know countries like nepal and turkmenistan uh, there's quite a lot of work goes into recruitment as well they have to have agents they have to carry out a due diligence process they have to make sure that the folks who are applying are who they say 
way they are. And also they have to make sure that the folks who are applying um, are looked after through the, the chain as well. You know, that there is no abuse, that there are no illegal fees paid and a whole range of other, you know, very good practices, which all take time. So, you know, it does take time and the... Uh, Operators have re-recruited, the people are coming through, but it has put a, a delay in the whole system. There's no doubt about that. Just looking at the strategy, when it boils down to it, what practical help is the government offering the industry to expand? Well, if we look at practical help, um, originally the move from single farm payments was entirely into ELMS, environmental land management schemes. And that basically suits exactly the same people who used to get the big fat single farm payments. It's folks with a lot of land, generally, which is farm for arable, who can, who can you know, lay aside land for wildlife, forestry, everything else. These are all really good things. But in horticulture, we're very intensive. So within the food strategy, there is now a commitment to fund horticulture through that mechanism and to look to make those environmental land management requirements for funding uh, more aligned to horticultural production systems as well as broad acre farming so you know that's the critical thing and it's something that government needs to consult with industry quickly and get its head round in order that we again you know will have a, an appropriate level of funding that's a, a big pot of money that used to go to you know large-scale farmers and landowners it is being re repurposed for want of a better word um, and it's an opportunity for government to support horticulture which you know, at the end of the day, is a huge contributor to the UK uh, rural economy. What about planning permission? That's mentioned in there, I think. Uh, planning permission is a bit of a stumbling block for us. I have to say that uh, it is only really required for greenhouses, permanent structures, and then polytunnels. Um, there is a very clear set of guidance for planners on polytunnels. And after, you know, a, a fair bit of trouble in the late 1990s and early 2000s in terms of planning being turned down and planning inquiries and things, generally uh, planning is not a big issue to our growers. It's much more about labour and then also financial support to do all the things that we're going to need to do into the future automation robotics better production systems that are less labor intensive all those things now i remember monty don um being against polytunnels which always seemed to me to be counterproductive to be uh when you're looking for uk grown produce but anyway anyway we um um, you're doing a rebrand so can you tell us all about that because that's that's that must be a big move for you yeah, by all means. Uh, yeah, British Summer Fruits has been around in... Uh it's it's simplest form actually since the 1990s when it was a you know a, a British it was called National Summer Fruits. In 2002, we uh, repurposed the organisation. Uh, we brought in the marketing companies and we started to do a year-round uh, berry marketing and PR exercise, which is hugely successful. You know, and has been admired, I think, right the way across the horticultural industry as a, an example of, of what you can do. Um, we've been doing that for a long time. We've been very successful in growing the market. However, if we then look at the needs of the UK production industry, it's not just about promotion. So British Summer Fruits was mostly a trade promotional body. That's what it did with you know three quarters or seven-eighths of its funding. Um, the balance was used for lobbying on industry-specific issues. So we, we talked about polytunnels, we worked on that. Um, but what we were seeing is growers being increasingly concerned about the pressures that are going to come on them. And that's about labour. It's 
about massive increases in the cost of production it's about making sure that everybody in the in the chain and everybody who is a stakeholder and that means not just the farmers and growers it means government it also means the retailers and it means the consumer um, are bought into the fact that as we face huge increases in cost of production uh, we maintain a, a viable British industry so this repurposing is about swinging a significant proportion of the trade body's effort into being a crop association um, and representing British growers in all those key areas. Inflation and energy prices are big issues at the moment. Um, so what are you doing about them or how are you campaigning on them? Well, we've uh, commissioned two uh, surveys from Anderson's Farm Business Consultancy. Um, the first survey looked at known cost of production increases. So that was about energy. It was about steel prices. Um, it was about labour costs. And the biggie for us is labour. 50% of the production cost of a punish of strawberries is direct labour. Um, so we we knew labour costs were going up with the living wage going up from 872 to 950 um in their wisdom the home office then inflicted at very short notice actually you know it wasn't really announced in full until march uh, a jump for seasonal workers visa schemes to 10 pounds 10 so you know that's substantial labour cost inflation way above that of the general economy and way above what the government will be trying to pay its own employees so um that was not welcome um, and we have said so we're lobbying hard hard on labour so we're lobbying hard on labour availability we also will lobby hard to make sure that the uh, home office and defra do not further interfere with that differential you know there the, you know, there is no sane reason why we should be uh, obliged to pay someone who's coming here from a distant country to work for cash for 6 months to take home and you know we need those people we very much appreciate and value them but why on earth would you want to pay them more than you pay a british national it, it really doesn't make sense and we can't understand it so you know the living wage is going to go up inevitably and we'd like to see the that that 10 pounds 10 not go up so it's aligned with the living wage what about energy how much of an impact does that have on you not as great as it has on some sectors so if we look at the proportion of our crop that is produced in glass houses which is where the big energy uh, cost is um, it's a very modest proportion only a few percent um, so we're not in quite the same difficult position that perhaps cucumber or tomato growers are in but equally it's still another increase in costs and we use energy and cooling systems and everything else so it, it is a cost and that's gone into the, the pot the cost of uh, cost price of production inflation was 15, 1.5% this year. Um, we're hoping that we will see that reflected in the marketplace but you know there are other challenges out there in the marketplace. You know, there's a big squeeze on people's uh, expenditure things that people have to have you know fuel, uh, diesel petrol for their cars, gas, electricity um, have gone up massively in cost so you know I'm sure that all our members will be working hard with their retail customers to try and, uh, and ensure that that cost of production increase is reflected in growers returns but it is a challenge and if it's not reflected it does threaten the viability of the industry there there isn't any fat in the system these days so how, how is that looking at the moment we've got the groceries code uh, adjudicator um working between the producer and the retailer is is that working are prices going up in accordance with the uh, costs of production going up well of course the the, the 
adjudicator's job is to ensure that there is no abuse of the relationship between a retailer and, and a supplier. You know, so it's mostly about unreasonable demands for promotional payments, ILN positioning. It's about unreasonable terms and conditions changes, or perhaps the, you know, the, the notice period for the cancellation of business. So it's not really about pricing. Um, and obviously, you know, this is a marketplace and our government are very dedicated to a, a free market. So it's a challenge, but it's not a role for the grocery adjudicator. I think it is a role for both customers and it is a role for retailers to act responsibly in what are difficult times for our growers. Cool. Now we're going to look ahead. So we're going to look at new product development, campaigns, automation, prospects for the rest of the season. So to kick off, what campaigns have you got coming up? What what, what are you going to be um, campaigning on? Well, we, we run the Love Fresh Berries promotional campaign on a year-round basis. We give it, you know, a special emphasis during the UK season because at the end of the day, this is both the peak of, of the opportunity to sell berries and the greatest level of interest. So um, we have National Berry Month in July. So we've already done a very successful launch of the strawberry season. We're launching the raspberry season this week. Um, so, you know, we'll be making a, a big fuss in the, in the media about the quality and the delight that British raspberries deliver to customers. We then have National Berry Month right the way through the, the month of July where we will promote all four berries um, we're doing that both in trade press national press so you'll see quite a lot in the print press um, and also of course social media which is a, a big area of focus these days because uh, you know that's a, a really good way to get through to your customers now cool what about uh, new products um, is there any uh, new developments coming onto the market any game changes I think that uh, varietal development is the critical thing in, in berries. And every year we see, you know, new, better varieties in one area or another, whether that's blueberries, uh blackberries strawberries or raspberries and the quality of of what we produce has increased hugely so yeah at the end of the day we are producing a relatively simple product it's lovely fresh berries um and the important thing is that we have varieties that deliver you know good size good appearance great eating quality um and also decent shelf life and you know the breeding programs have done an awful lot over the last 20 years or so to to work on that and as a result of that you know if you look even over the last 10 years our sales have doubled over 10 years you you wouldn't see that in very many sectors oh that's brilliant um what about um environmental challenges packaging that type of thing what are you doing on those things Packaging is again a challenge because we need punnets to protect soft fruits from in transit. And actually, if you look at the the trade off, I think that product wastage, um, if one went to you know less uh, protective packaging, would be higher than the the environmental damage of the of the packaging. So what we're working really hard on is recycled content. So making sure that our punnets are produced from recycled plastic in the highest possible percentage and then also recyclability of the punnet so it's just making sure that everything that we use is recyclable and is easily recyclable so you know those are the key areas at the moment there is work going on on compostable punnets and a whole range of other uh, activities but a little bit like uh, you know most areas uh, plastic packaging is probably still the the best option currently uh, but it's about making sure that that is recycled material to the greatest extent and then recyclable to 100 percent 
what progress has been made in, in that area? At the moment, I think that we have a, a, a statement on our website. We are moving towards uh, a high percentage of recycled material and we're moving towards a very high pr- proportion of recyclable. Um, so to an extent, it's in the retailer's hands as well. So it's quite hard to have an industry-wide position. You know, we don't have a, an industry standard packaging. Retailers also nominate what packaging they want and they have their own environmental agendas. So our individual members will tie in closely with their retail customers to make sure that their targets are aligned with theirs. So it's a challenge to have a, a, a firm target as an industry. Do you see a day when everything's 100% recyclable, made from 100% recycled material? It's difficult to see 100% recycled material because I'm no expert on these things, but I believe that in order to produce clear plastic punnets, you need an element of of new material. 100% recyclable, absolutely. I think the biggest challenge actually is uh, education of customers. In other words, you know, people doing the right thing with packaging after it's been used. And then local council uh, facilities, because at the moment, not all councils can recycle the same range of things. No, it's true. We've done quite a few surveys at Hort Week on that type of thing and there certainly needs to be uh, some joined up thinking there. I think that's the biggest challenge actually, it's not so much retailers, they're pretty uh, reactive and proactive in terms of, of their responsibilities on packaging. Our members work closely with them to make sure we're aligned with that but uh, the, the onward chain for recycling I think still is a bit creaky in some areas. No, no indeed. So earlier on we mentioned that the season has come quite early Uh it's been pretty sunny recently. So what what is production like this season and what what is prices like? Uh, well, pr- production is going well, I have to say. I think that, you know, as we said, growers are just about getting by on labour, which is always a, a good thing to see. There's quite a lot of concern about later on in the season. But we have the bulk of the labour that we need. It's inexperienced. It's more costly than it, than it ever was. Um, but crops are looking really great. As you say, it's an early season. The weather's been kind. You know, the heat wave only lasted for about a day and a half, which is always a, a blessed relief. Um, and, and sales are good it's an early season of course so sales are up year on year um but i'll be very disappointed if we don't have on in terms of volume of crops sold a substantially better year than last year last year was hard work weather was poor for a lot of the summer um and let's hope this year we have a better one we certainly have so far so we're looking at record volumes do you think um, I'm always reluctant to say record volumes, but of course, because the industry um, has been expanding steadily for many years, and although the expansion now isn't as, as rapid as it used to be, um, I would hope that we might see record volumes. Let's, <laughs> let's hope so, because uh, at the end of the day, it's the volume of crop that growers can pick and, and market, which uh, you know drives their profitability. And you asked about prices. It's very early days uh, to say that prices are better or uh, disappointing compared to last year um so again let's uh, let's hope that retailers are being responsible in how they're setting headline prices um and let's uh, hope that as the season goes through we do see some inflation in cost prices because the growers certainly do really need it no i mean the, the growers need it but at the other end of the uh the spectrum we've got the the, the consumers who are uh, uh, probably struggling with inflation so how are they are those two going to marry up well, it's a challenge, isn't it? You know, at the end of the day, um, the only thing I would say is I think that people's uh, disposable income 
is obviously going to be squeezed hard. However, if you look at berries, they're a delicious and they're an affordable treat. We're still talking about £2 to £2.50 for a punish of really nice fruit. You know, that's half the price of a pint of lager. Um, it's it's probably uh, little more than the, the cost of a, a litre of diesel. Um, and I think, you know, I get a lot more enjoyment from a punnet of strawberries than I would from a litre of diesel. No, oh, half the price of a coffee as well. And- <laughs> and, yeah, 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 exactly that. I mean, you know, yeah, maybe, you know, you pay £3 odd for a cup of coffee. So, you know, on that basis, I think, you know, consumers will still buy affordable treats. It's called the lipstick factor, isn't it? You know, when times are really hard, folks still like to buy something that costs two or three quid um, and that they know they're going to thoroughly enjoy. No, brilliant. Now, we're just about coming to the end. Tomorrow's world question is automation. Where are we at on that? We, we mentioned briefly earlier on um, replacing labour with you know people with with um, machines that are going to pick the berries. How close are we to that? Uh, with some years off, quite frankly, um, there are several robotics programs working on automation. If you look at automating the the harvesting task, it's about the hardest job you could ask a robot to do. It's it's very different to a, a factory assembly line robot, which does the same job over and over again and has its work delivered to it, you know, once every 10 seconds or once a minute. Um, in the case of a picking robot, it has to have a platform that it moves on. It has to have a mechanism, an arm, which can separate the fruit and put it into a punnet. It has to have a vision system which enables it to look at the strawberry or raspberry um, and spot the ripe ones uh, and also sort them out from the foliage. Um, and it has to have a, a, a an automatic learning, a, a, an artificial intelligence learning ability so that it starts to do that job more quickly. Um, I think we're probably several years off having robots that can pick at even a speed resembling a human picker at the moment they're far far slower um so quite frankly if you wanted my 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 guess on it and it's purely a guess because i'm not one of the development programs i'd say four or five years to see that and then we'll have quite a period where those robots have to be built um the building on them has to be financed so we're talking about thousands and thousands of units you know we're looking to replace tens of thousands of people um but automation is the answer in the longer term seasonal workers are you know in short supply right the way around the world doesn't matter if you go to california chile uh holland belgium or here in sunny kent um people are finding it harder every year to get folks who are willing to do seasonal jobs in a country that is you know not of their birth these these folks would rather have a full-time job at home all year round everyone aspires to that and as the world economy grows uh, those itinerant workers who went from one country to another for a period of time for harvest season uh, are fewer in number and that's a fact of life that you know the whole of horticulture will have to address over the next 10 to 20 years great thanks for that nick now we always polish off our hot week podcast with the question if you're on a desert island what plant would you take so nick any answers well, I'm going to have to say a strawberry plant, aren't I? Because uh, not only do they look nice, but uh, I'd have something to eat as well. So I'm going to go for a strawberry plant and let's hope I can keep it alive. That's the perfect answer, I think. Now, thank you very much to British berry growers Nick Marston. I'm Matthew Appleby, Horticulture Week editor. Make sure you never miss a Horticulture Week podcast. Subscribe to or follow Hort Week podcasts via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. 
So once again, thank you and goodbye till next time. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.